where you can see their little face. So I am absolutely thrilled. His name is August Wayne, after her great-great-grandfather August, um, Ron Slaben, and then after Wayne, my husband, her dad. So we're very um, glad to meet him. His name is August. We call him Augie, not Aggie. Just get it. Augie. Um, but we are very excited um, that that's happening. I love Brennan so much. I love her house. I love the nursery. She's very retro, very mid-century modern kind of a thing. So getting her nursery together has been a lot of fun. We were over there late last night putting together furniture and um, washing baby clothes and packing these tiny things away. Hard to believe he's going to be here in about seven weeks, um, but we're very excited. Her house, though, when she walked into it, was one of those houses where she was like 30 minutes later, like, yes, where do I sign? And her mother was like, can I have a really detailed inspection ordered? And she was like, why? Like, everything looks kind of fine. I mean, there's going to be problems. It's an older home, but I don't see anything major. And I was like, well, I'll pay for it. Humorous. Let's just let this happen. And boy, did he find problems. The, crack, the foundation was cracked. The beams in the attic were not tied together. You know what I'm saying? Like there were no screws holding those beams together. There was no insulation in the attic. The electrical wiring was such that the electrician said we were so lucky over the years that it hadn't burned down. And the gas guy said we were lucky it hadn't blown up. Isn't that sweet? That's fun, isn't it? But the fun thing for Brennan was she was just like looking around going, you can't see it. You can't really tell it. Like, I mean, there's some small problems here and there, but like every house has those. So like, how would I have known? And that's because those small things she was talking about, a door sticking too much, or if you looked at her closet doors, all of them had like small cracks that went out, radiated from them. The lights flickered a little when you turned on one switch or the other. One switch didn't work to anything. There was a weird pipe coming in the background. It's like things that if you didn't understand what you were looking at, may have just seemed like normal little house problems and not things that cost her tens of thousands of dollars to fix. But she loved the house enough. She just was willing to do the work. Welcome to Corinth. There were things going wrong in this church. But I mean, they were popping up here and there. It wasn't everybody. If you knew what to look for, sure, you could see the small cracks that had started to form. There were these weird things that were happening, but it's not like everybody was doing it. And, and overall, things looked pretty good to the church. But here comes Paul into this mess and says, um, we have some major work we need to do in order to get started with this. But we're not here to like show, throw shade at Corinth because here's the deal. You and I both know how messed up we are, right? Like we all know about the small cracks that everybody else can see, but we know they're from huge foundation shifts that have happened underneath us. You know full well how messed up your fantasy life is. You know full well how messed up your online life is, but you also know how to keep the church facade. Good, how are you? Good. How to keep it in front of the teachers, your parents. Just enough so nobody sees the mess underneath. We all play our little games with sin. All of us. Hoping no one notices. But eventually you know somebody gets close enough to see the crack. They catch you in that lie. They catch you cheating. They see your search history. They watch what you do long enough to see it. 
because we are them. So how is Paul going to come into this church and start to fix the things that are happening, but in a way that fixes it all underneath the surface so that as we go forward, we don't have greater and greater problems? Well, Paul did not wait to answer them, but he did it in first and second, first chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians. But the weird thing is it can feel like an introduction. Because Paul is about to run through a list of things. Every chapter, he's going to tell you about some problem that's happening and what he wants them to know, then the next problem that's happening and something he wants them to know. He's going to try to put order to the church again. But when it happens, they're not supposed to forget what he's already said in chapters 1 and 2. In chapter 1, let's see what this is. That's chapter 2. In chapter 1, Paul is getting them to understand that just to have any of these problems, just to have all of the fights between them, just to have the sexual sin that's happening in their church, just to be able to have the gluttony, the greed, the selfishness, their church services were chaos because people who were revering one gift over the other, the relationships between men and women in the church were fractured all from this thing that Paul is talking about. They were even boasting, we learned about in chapter 1. They were even boasting as if they were anything. As if when God chose them, he was like, oh, I feel so lucky. I mean, you're first rounder. Instead of the seventh grade C team, which we all are. He tells them to even begin there, to even start with what I know about you means you don't know anything about the cross. You have looked away from Christ and him crucified. You think God's wisdom is about how great you are? Look at yourselves. God saved you, you, and you. Look at yourselves. You're not powerful. You're not the wealthy. You're not the wisest in the land. Then he says, that's not all. In chapter 1, he says, look at how God saved you. Look at Jesus. He did not come down here to rule with power and might and riches. He wasn't handsome and, you know, the tall, dark, handsome prince riding in on the stallion. Do you know your Jesus was ugly? Like, like the Bible says it? Do you know he was homeless? Do you know he's a convict? Do you know he died publicly naked? That's your God. How he saved you was supposed to tell you something, and Paul gets it. He did it the same way. Look at what Paul says he did in verses 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming the testimony of God to you with lofty speech and wisdom. For I decided instead to be Christ to you. Do you see what he says? I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Not in strength, not in power, not boasting about all Paul has done and all he can do. Not that he's an apostle. No, Paul says what? He came in, verse 3 through 5, in weakness and in fear. Paul came with much trembling. And my speech and my message, he says, were not with plausible words of wisdom. In other words, I know I didn't make any sense. 
I know that what I speak is foolishness to those who are not his. But I came not in demonstration of my power, but in demonstration of the Spirit and his power. Why? Look at the very end. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Paul is writing to people who haven't just gotten a couple of facts wrong. It's like they said, we're going to go to California, and we all say, that sounds great, and they turned around and walked to Louisiana. It's not that they got their steps wrong. It's their whole orientation of their journey is wrong. Everything about the way they're doing things is wrong. And Paul tells them that what, the, what went wrong was this. It's the cross of Christ. Why? Did they forget that Jesus was crucified? No. They're not, Paul's not talking about the facts of his cross. They know the facts of his cross. You know them too. You know that Jesus died, but do you understand the message that was for his church? Do you understand the way that he died was to tell us all about how we live? So what's Paul getting at? Notice in these verses that Paul made a conscious decision about how he was going to come. Words that he described. How did he come? In what? Verse 3. How did he come? In weakness, in fear, in how much trembling? A lot of trembling. This is Paul the apostle, the one who saw Jesus face to face. Paul made sure they all saw him this way. Is that what we do? We show off how nervous we are. We just tell everybody that we don't feel equipped to do what God's calling us to do. Do we do this? Do we show people our weakness? Show how afraid we are? Why would he do it this way? Look at verse 4. My speech, my message, we're not in words of wisdom that the world can understand so that. There's a so that. Here's his reason. So that what? Paul didn't want their faith to be about him. He wanted their faith to be about the power of God displayed through this message. Paul is saying, I could have shown you how great I am. I could have shown you my pedigree, my history, all that I had achieved as a Jew. I could have shown you my passion for God, how I, I went from house to house and persecuted people for daring to blaspheme my God. I could have shown you how my eyes were changed when I met Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, face to face. Did you know he taught me personally the things that I'm telling you? That's right. You haven't seen Jesus. I have. I sat with him and learned from him. Paul didn't do that. Why? Paul says, if I did all of that, if I talked about me, if I showed up in power, what told you about the miracles I could have performed, the healings I performed... Literally, a guy fell out of a window because Paul put him to sleep with his teaching, and Paul just went, no, you're not dead. They didn't talk about that. Why? Why not show off who he is and what he could do? Because we're not supposed to say, well, I believe in Jesus because I heard it from Paul. It's not about the messenger. It's about the message. Paul is saying, you weren't supposed to hear the gospel while you think about me. The gospel is not glorious because of Paul. It's glorious because of Jesus. We all know that, but all too often our lives get in the way of that. 
We want to be great. We want to be noticed. We want power, rule, might, riches. If I could look into all of your fantasy life you have in your head, are you the losers? Or are you the winners? When that conversation plays out, where you know you're going to go tell her this, and then she's going to say this, but you're going to say this, at the end of it, does it have you apologizing? Or are they wrong? Ladies we're, and gentlemen, <laughs> we're not supposed to be the ones who live before people. We're the ones who are supposed to die so that they can live. When you see Jesus' life, you don't see those things. You don't see a show-off. He's not boastful. He's not a braggart. He's not in it for what he can get. He's not worried about what you're giving him. He came to serve you his whole life. He's not greedy. But guess what? We don't get to be either. His body has to look like his head. If we're the people of God, the followers of God, we have to look like our God. So listen to just a few of the commands of the New Testament. These are ways that we're supposed to think and act and speak as we move through this world. Here's one, Luke 6, 27. But I say to you, this is Jesus talking, but I say to you who hear, notice you have to be willing to hear, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you. Bless those who curse you. If somebody's abused you, you pray for them. From the one who um, strikes your cheek, make sure you step a little closer and turn the other one and give them a better aim next time. Somebody comes up and takes that jacket off of you, get ready to strip your shirt off and hand that over to them also. To everyone who begs from you, to everyone who begs from you, do you see that homeless guy on the street? Do you see it? To everyone who begs from you, give. And from the one who takes your goods, do you see your siblings? To the one who takes from you, do not demand them back. How's that going? Sound like the world? Nah. We're told to protect ourselves. Make sure you're a good steward. Don't give money to people. You never know what they're going to do with it. As if we're so much better with our money. Make all the wise decisions with our money. Here's another one. Here's James coming in. When all that happens and like you face all these trials, what do we do? We count it all joy. When you face trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Does that sound like your unbelieving friends? Do they walk through this life just naming all their troubles and they're just like, I have never been happier in my life. They're called troubles for a reason, James. It's hard to rejoice. I love this next one. I quote it all the time. Hebrews 10, 34. Are you ready for this? For you had compassion on those in prison. Do you? Do you? When you see that arrest picture, is what fills you compassion? If you see the Democrats taken down, if you see the Republicans taken down, if you see that guy finally got arrested, is that, is that you? Are you compassionate on those who are in prison 
But here's the next harder part. And you joyfully accept the plundering of your property, the devastation of your property, the stealing of your property, the looting of your property. You joyfully accept it because when your siblings touch your stuff, what they walk away with is this overwhelming sense that you have a better treasure and an abiding one. Not this stuff. This doesn't matter to you. Yeah, that's Jesus. Did you know that? That's your better treasure and your abiding one. That's your salvation. That's what's kept for you in heaven. Where rust and moth cannot take it away, where no, no thieves can come in and destroy. Imperishable, unfading, Matthew 5, 1 Peter 1. Do people watch you with your stuff and know that this is nothing but trash? You have an imperishable treasure kept for you. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing, 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 nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Thinking about yourself, your pride, your ego. But in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you, don't look to your own interests only. You can, notice it says only. But make sure you keep in mind, right in front of you, the interests of others. You're not number one. God is. Y'all like, yes, God's number one. I'm number what? It's not two for you to keep others' interests in front of you. That drops your number way down low, doesn't it? Here's another one, Matthew 20. Jesus called them, that's the disciples, to him, and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They all come and tell people what to do. They exercise authority over you. But, he says, with Christians, look at this, it will not be so among you. You're not going to lord your positions over them. Why? Because whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Why? It says it. Because the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Christ. These ways are Christ. Whenever you read the commands of God in the Scripture... All he's doing is showing you how to conform to his image. The commands of Christ are a sketch of what Jesus' body should look like. When we obey them, we look like him. The commands are not a to-do list for you. They are a detailed outline of your Christ to marvel at, to wonder at, and then to conform our lives to. We don't get to call ourselves followers of Christ and not care at all about looking like Christ. You get that? Is this easy? Man, not for anybody. At one point in Matthew 16, Jesus tells his disciples, they're about to come, the Pharisees, the rulers, they're about to come. They're going to take me, beat me, crucify me, I'm going to die. Three days later, rise again. And Peter goes like, Jesus, come here, come here, come here. Come here. No, I don't, I don't want them to hear me. Listen, listen. 
you can't talk like this. He gets on to him. Like Peter tries to get Jesus in trouble. He rebukes him, the Bible says. And what does Jesus call it when that happens? He turned to Peter and said, Peter, I know, I, I can understand your struggle. No. Basically, what he's saying is, Peter, there is a ruler of this world and there is a ruler of God's kingdom. There is a way of this world, there's a way of God's kingdom. And you don't look like God right now. Get away from me, Satan. Get away from me, Satan. The ruler of the world that you look like right now. So here's the deal. Look at what he says. You are trying to stop me. Can you imagine being told by Jesus, you're in my way. Can you imagine being in the way of Jesus? A stumbling block to Jesus. Well, Paul could because he was one. I can because I was one. But do you know who's not supposed to be a stumbling block to Jesus? The church. The church should not be a stumbling block to the message or the being of Jesus Christ. It should be the display of him. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8. Paul says, but we impart a secret. It's hidden, a hidden wisdom from God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. Do you see that? No, no ruler of this age can get this. Because if they had, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. The wisdom of man would never have equaled the cross of Christ. It would never have equaled the humiliation of that naked public death. The wisdom for the rulers of this world is for their glory. God's wisdom is to send the Son of God to die for your glory. It's not too hard to see, but man, it is hard to live. Can you feel that? As soon as I started saying some of those verses, did you find yourself talking back? Did you find yourself going, I don't think so? You don't know my siblings. You don't understand. You don't know how hard I've worked. You don't know what they've done to me. Pray for those who abuse you. You don't know what kind of abuse I've been through. You don't know how mocked I've been. If I do this, how far does it go? Do they just get to run all over me year after year and I don't get to say anything? If I live this way... She just gets to hurt me over and over again, and I just get to rejoice and be glad. Like, if everybody's doing this, but I'm the only one who, like, tries to live like Jesus, then who takes care of me? Which is the fundamental question that Paul knew. You needed to know that this Spirit of God is not just to reveal to you the ways of Christ. It is for that. But the Spirit of God will also reveal to you the answer to that most fundamental question of 
Who will take care of you? 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, not, no man in his heart has imagined this, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit who searches everything, even the depths of God. The Spirit of God searches the depths of God to reveal to us the answer to this question. Do you know what God had prepared for you? Do you know where you are in Christ? Do you know what he's given you? In Christ, the answer to that question, if you don't have it, if you don't know who takes care of you as you go look like Jesus, you'll never go look like Jesus. But he says this, verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that what? So that we might understand the things Freely given to us by God. Freely given. There, there's no cost to you. Guys, you were not his, but you are now. You were once far away from God, but he has brought you right into the heart of his family. You were an orphan, but you now have a father. And with that, if he really is yours and you really are his, there can come a releasing of our life, a releasing of our rights, a releasing of revenge, a releasing of payback that allows the life of God to flow through us. Relax your hold because everything upholds together by the power of Jesus' might, not yours. Your life will not work because of your work. Your life will work because of God holding it all together. You don't need to scramble to fix you or anyone else. You don't have to figure it all out. You can breathe. You can rest. Because Christ did not just raise you out of hell and say, I hope that works out for you. He raised you from death and he brought you into his own family and gave you his kingdom. Fear not, little flock, he says in Luke. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. But listen to these. 2 Corinthians 1.20, did you know that all of the promises, if you could go back and hear every single promise ever given to his people across all time, you can now read those as your promise. And they are a solid yes to you because of Jesus Christ. Do you know that's why every time we pray, this verse is the reason we say, in Jesus' name, may it be so. Because of him. That's why we utter our amen to his name. Because he bought you every promise of Christ as a yes to you. Romans 8, all things, all things, all things, every single awful thing, all things work together for good, for your life, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. 2 Corinthians 9 is such a tongue twister, but it's astonishing. God is able to make how much grace? All grace abound to you, so you have how much sufficiency? 
Yeah, it gets repetitive. So you have all sufficiency in all things at all times that you may abound in being like Jesus, in doing every good work that he calls you to. Galatians 6, and guess what? As you do those good works, you're like a farmer throwing out seed on a field, and here comes Paul to say, hey, I know it's hard to just be out in the field every day, but don't grow weary of doing those good works because in due season you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. And then Philippians 4, my God, Paul says to the Philippian church, will supply every, every, every need of yours according to your need. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. That's a lot of riches in Christ Jesus. Philippians, uh, Psalm 34, we know that many are the, are the afflictions of the righteous. We know that you have many troubles. We know that. But your God will deliver you from them all. Psalm 62, God only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. He is your protector. He will protect you. He will provide for you. He is your stable foundation. You will not be greatly shaken. And then one of my favorites, Isaiah 43. Did you know God called you by name to make you his? So that when you pass through the waters, they, they won't overtake you. When the floods come, you will not drown. When you walk through something that is so horrible as to feel like you're burning up from the inside, you will not be burned. You will not. Because your God will be with you. Who will take care of me? Your God will be with you. Who will take care of me? I will be with you. Because I am the Lord your God. The Holy One of Israel is your Savior. Guys, all you need to know to walk in the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of man is not how faithful you'll be to him, but to keep realizing over and over, he will be faithful to you. He will provide for you. He will not fail you. Your foot will not stumble. You will not be burned. I promise. He, he promises in Christ that all these promises are yours. That's how you know you can go back out and do it again and not grow weary to get the harvest because of him. But here's the deal. I've been acting like y'all are his. And the truth is, I don't know whether you all are. I don't know. But here's what I do know. If you hear this and you think, I don't have the answer to that question. I've never even considered God being the one who cares for me. If this is breaking open through the Spirit something inside of you that makes you say, I want to be His and I want Him to be mine. I want to be able to rest and work with all of my might. If that's you today, please don't leave here without telling your leaders, without telling Dave, me, somebody, that you can feel God moving in you, that you have been withholding your life from being like Jesus. You've been walking in the wisdom of this world, protecting yourself, 
because you don't know whether God will come through for you. Tell us about it. It matters to us. We want you to have what we have because we know that the only foundation that will be stable enough, the only way to fix all that stuff that Paul's about to talk about, and some of it's just awful, is right here in chapters 1 and 2. To have the Spirit of God convince you that Jesus is the Christ, and then the Spirit of God to convince you that you must be his body, and then the Spirit of God to convince you that he can do it because you can count on him to come through. Let's pray and ask God to do that for us. Father, we cannot do this on our own. We will not choose you. We will not choose Christ. We will choose ourselves. We will not let our light shine before men. We will keep it for ourselves because we do not know when the light might shine again. Will you convince us of all three things? Who we were before Christ, what Christ has done to bring us into the family, convict us of all the ways that our lives do not line up with Jesus' life. And when we stumble at it, when we balk at it, when we, we worry about it, when we feel weary by it, would you also convict us, Father, through your Spirit, by your Word, that everything that you promised us is true because of the payment of your Son. Don't let us do any of this. For anything but the glory of your Son, we pray. Amen. And you may go to your groups.